Well, good morning, church, again. It's uh, always a wonderful blessing to be together to worship Jesus as we continue our worship in the Word. Let's continue by bowing in prayer and preparing our hearts accordingly. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we can gather this morning and just rejoice in your presence, knowing that you're here with us. We thank you, Lord, that as we get to lift up our praises to you, our desire is it would be lifted up to you as sweet aroma. And as we continue our worship in your word, we just pray that you would prepare our hearts and minds for what you have for us. And so we'd ask what we know not, that you would teach us. What we have not, that you would give us. And who we are not in Christ, we ask that you would make us. And we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Um, there's a story that's told about God who one day found Adam in the garden and said, Adam, I've been observing things around the garden and I've noticed that everyone has a companion except for you. And so I've decided to make a companion for her, for you, and I'm going to call the companion woman. And Adam said, Lord, God, what is woman? God said, well, let me explain. Woman, she's beautifully formed to be pleasing to the sight. She's wonderfully soft to be pleasing to the touch. Adam, when you arrive home from a long day in the garden, she will be waiting to greet you, dressed in beautiful garments, scented with the most um, exquisite perfume. As she greets you, she will embrace you. She'll tell you how much she loves you, and then she'll take you by the hand, and she'll lead you to your favorite overstuffed chair, where she will put a cold drink and a remote control in your hand. She will then proceed to head into the kitchen and feel, finish up that gourmet meal that she's been preparing all day. And finally, she will lead you to a candlelit table where you will dine together in the most romantic of settings. And Adam said, Lord God, how much is this going to cost me? <laughs> and the Lord said, Adam, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. Adam said, Lord, what do you think I could get for a rib? This morning, my prayer is that uh, if you're married or you hope to be married someday, that you have a good sense of humor. This morning, we're going to take some time to talk about uh, the key to a fulfilling and a satisfied marriage as we take a look at what God's design for marriage is in his word. And so I'd invite you to two texts this morning we're going to be in. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 18 to 25 together. And then we're also going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, so I'd invite you to turn there as well in verses 22 to 33. So Genesis 2 and Ephesians chapter 5. As you make your way there in your Bibles, I want to just take some time to encourage us as we head into the word that for some this morning, you walked in and your marriage is thriving, but for others who are married, your marriage may be barely surviving. For some this morning, your marriage is barely hanging on by a thread, and you've had conversations about the options of divorce, you've had the conversations about the options of separation, but I want to take some time to remind you this morning that whether your marriage is thriving or barely surviving or somewhere in between, your marriage has a 100% chance of being successful, fulfilled, and satisfied if you will do it God's way. If you will do it God's way and apply his principles, we're reminded when we go back to his original design, it's never too late to start fighting for your marriage. 
It's never too late to go back to his original design. It's never too late to see what God can do as he makes a way where there seems to be no way. And in order to go back to his design, it's important that we go back to the very beginning, which is why the first text we're in this morning is Genesis chapter 2, where God first created marriage and defined it as we consider God's design for it. So would you stand in honor of the reading of the word as we consider the key to a fulfilled and satisfied marriage God's way. Genesis 2 verse 18 reads this way, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was, found, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man... He made into a woman and he brought her to the man and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked and the man and his wife and were not ashamed. Heading over to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 says this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and will be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The word of the Lord, you all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. What I want to do this morning with you is go back to God's original design. Go back to the beginning and then head over to Ephesians and consider God's, godly, God's divinely created roles and responsibilities of marriage. But the question I really want to talk about is, what is the key to a fulfilling and satisfied marriage according to God's original design? Uh, first and foremost, the key is embracing God's purpose for marriage. 
embracing God's purpose for marriage. If you want to have a satisfied and fulfilled marriage as God designed it, it begins by going back to his original purpose for why he created it. As we open our text to Genesis 2 in verses 18 to 23, we see the purpose. The purpose for why God created marriage was in order to meet man's need for companionship. To meet man's need for companionship. God begins by describing Adam's need for companionship in verse 18, and he describes it this way. He says, and the Lord God said, it is not good for man, that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now, if you get to have a chance to read through the first couple chapters of Genesis, you get to read through the creation account, and you're reminded at the very beginning, in the beginning, before time ever was in existence, God already existed. Tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then it goes through the creation account. And we're reminded that because God is the creator of heaven and earth and everything in it, He has the right to delegate what is its purpose, what, is, what its design is. Now, this morning, if you happen to be the creator of heaven and earth and everything in it, you might have the ability to edit His blueprint. You might be able to edit um, uh, his instruction manual, but because he is God and we are not, we don't have the right to define right or wrong, good or evil, and we don't have the right to redefine it. And so all throughout the first chapter, you see God is creating and then he's evaluating, and each time he goes through a particular creation, he says it is good. When he says it is good, he's saying it's appropriate and fitting within my plan and purpose for creation. So he, he makes light and he says it's good. He separates the land from this water and he says it's good. It's appropriate and fitting within my plan and purpose for creation. He creates vegetation to come out of the earth and he declares it is good. He creates the birds of the sky, the beasts of the field, and the cattle, and, and, the, and the fish of the sea, and he says it is good, but then he gets to the pinnacle of his creation, having created man in his image, and he says it is not good. It is not appropriate and fitting within my plan and purpose for creation, because Adam cannot do everything that God had in store for him to do without a comparable companion to him, a helper. Now, we know in Scripture that some have been called to be married. Others have been called to be single. If you have the gift of being single, then embrace that. But if God has called you to be married, and that's God's plan and purpose for your life, you cannot do all that God has called you to do as a husband or wife without your spouse. That's how God designed you as he designed Adam. And so if you've been called to be married you have that unique opportunity to complement one another in that unique way. And so God begins to describe his need for a companion and says, it is not good for man to be alone. And then he says how he's going to meet that need. He says, I'm going to make a helper who's comparable to him. It's an interesting term that God uses to describe a wife. She is the man's helper, the husband's helper. Eve is Adam's helper. When he uses the term helper, he's talking about how Eve is Adam's complementary partner, that she provides what is lacking in him. You know, sometimes we see the term helper in our day and culture, we think of it as an inferior term. 
But as you consider who else is described as a helper, it reminds you that it's not an inferior term. Men and women are equal but different. They complement one another in a unique way. And the other person who's described as our helper in Scripture is God. You think of texts like Psalm 46.1 that says, God is our refuge and strength, the present help in time of need. God is our helper. Why is God our helper? How is God man's helper? Well, he provides what is lacking in the man. He's able to do for man what man cannot do for himself. So as our helper, it doesn't speak of his inferiority. It speaks of our deficiency. And so when it comes to a wife who is the helper of her husband and whom God has called to be married, he cannot do all that God has called him to do and he cannot be all that God has called him to be without his wife. If God has called you to be a husband, perhaps God has called you to be a father, you cannot be that without a companion, a helper comparable to you. If God has called you to serve the Lord in a particular ministry alongside of your wife, maybe it's leading a small group, whatever that may be, you cannot do all that God has called you to do apart from your helper. And a wife is a helper to her husband. And so the question we have to ask for the wives in the room is, how much of, our, our, how much of a help are you to your husband? How much of a support are you to him? As you consider God's design of coming alongside of him and helping him and supporting him and praying for him, how much of a helper are you to your husband? And husbands, how much do you appreciate your wife who has been provided to you by the Lord to help you? How do you treat your helper? Shouldn't you treat her well? Shouldn't you listen to her, have conversations with her, take her out and get to know her on a more intimate level? Shouldn't you pursue her and date her, not just before you're married, but after you're married because she is your helper? Shouldn't you let her know how she can be of help to you and be a blessing to you? And so first, we get to see God describe Adam's need for a companion, man's need for a companion. That's the purpose in order to meet that specific need. And so he describes it that way. And then in verse 19, we see that Adam begins to name the animals and his need for companionship arises once again. It says in verse 19, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So one by one, Adam is naming the creatures. He's naming the creation as God has delegated him the authority to do so. And then it says in verse 20, So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. But it says, But for Adam there was, found, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Adam sees each of these animals who have, has a helper comparable to them. They have their need for a companion that has been met. They can go forth and multiply. Adam, and Eve, Adam, apart from Eve, cannot at this point do all that God has created man to do because Adam is ultimately going to be the father of humanity. From his seed will come the nations of the earth. And God has created man in the image of God. He's created man in order to continue to make known his image throughout the earth. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And we see how the Lord meets that need. And it says, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. 
He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. Adam, up to this point, has been looking at animals nonstop. (laughs) He's seen lions and bears and dogs and cats and ants and all the other kinds of animals and he's been naming the birds of the sky the beasts of the field the fish of the sea and now God after putting him to sleep takes out this rib and for the first time he sees that he has a companion comparable to him he sees that God has provided him a helper who will come alongside of him to do all that God has called him to do and be all that God has called him to be because he's been called to be married. And you know how Adam responds to this? He, dis- he responds with praise. He, he shouts a, 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 a praise to the Lord for what God has done and he said, this is now bone of my bones. He sees his wife for the first time a helper comparable to him, a companion to meet his need. And he says, this is now bone of my bones. This is now flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Matthew Henry's commentary, he states this, a woman was not made out of his head to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal to him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. Interesting to consider how God created man out of the dust of the earth, but the woman, he took him, her out of Adam. What is the purpose for marriage? The, the purpose for marriage is to meet man's need for companionship, is to provide a complementary partner who can come alongside of her husband and help him fulfill the ministry and calling for him and them in their marriage and in their family. And we get to see God's original purpose for it. You know, if you want to experience fulfillment and satisfaction in your marriage, go back to the original design. Be reminded that the reason God has provided you a wife as a husband and the reason God has provided you a husband as a wife, it is in order that you two might be two complementary partners who come together to serve the purposes of God that he's placed on your life. Serve the purposes of God as a married couple within your family, within the local church, and in your circles of influence, and do and be all that God has called you to be, and do all that God has called you to do. If I could give just a couple practical ways that looks like for our wives in the room, it's to recognize your husband's need for a helper. The reason God brought you to him is because he needs help. It's because of his deficiency. He cannot do and be all that God has called him to be and purposed him to do and be without her. And so as a wife, recognize that your husband needs a helper and God provided you to be that helper. You can help your husband in a way that no other man or woman can. And so it's a reminder, be a helper to your husband. How do you do that? If there are some practical ways to consider, I think the first way is to ask him, how can I be of help to you? How can I support you? How can I come alongside of you? I'm always blessed when 
whether we're in a ministry of the church and someone comes up to me and says, hey, hey, you got this ministry coming up. Do you need any help? Are there any things that you need help with? And it's always a blessing when that happens. And the same way as for marriage, I love it when my wife sometimes after a busy day or a long day just comes and connects with me really quick and says, hey, is there anything I can be helping you with? Uh, how was your day? What, what, are, what are some of your priorities right now? Is there anything that I can help you with? And it's good just to sit down and say, you can help me here, you can pray for me there. So ask him how you can help and support him. Secondly, ask him how you can pray for him. And this is a reminder that you may not be able to help in, him in, in every single way, but you know the one who can. You may not understand him fully, but you know the God of heaven and earth who does. And so as you ask him how you can pray for him, you're relying on the greatest power that you could ever call upon, the Holy Spirit, to work and move in the heart and life and ministry of your husband. And so consider asking your husband, how can I pray for you? That'll make a great blessing. That'll be a great blessing to your husband. Thirdly, ask him how you can support him as the spiritual leader of the home. You know, when I think of being called as a father and a husband to be the spiritual leader of the home, that's a high calling. And as a spiritual leader, I know that I am imperfect and I need all the prayer and support that I can get. And so when my wife comes alongside of me and I can say, hey, it's a priority that we sit down and read the Bible with our kids that we attend church, that we get them into the truths of God's word and help them learn how to pray, that even though I'm not in the house all the time, like in the morning when she's having breakfast with them, that she's gonna make it a priority to dig into the word of God or do a devotional with them even when I'm not there. And she's a great support for me in that. And then fourthly, ask him what God has put on his heart when it comes to your family or ministry. You know, one of my favorite times with my wife is going on a little bit of a drive, maybe to Florence, maybe an hour away, and all the kids are passed out cold in the back. And while those kids are passed out in the back, my wife and I get to chat, and we get to chat about our life, talk about our family, talk about our children and what their needs are and how we can be strategic about praying for them. We get to talk about the, the burdens that God has placed on our heart for our family and for the ministry. And so I, we get a chance to, to exchange with another. I get to hear what's on her heart and she gets to hear what's on my heart. What a wonderful thing to say, honey, what is on your mind? What has God placed on your heart? What are the burdens he's placed on your heart so that I can be your helper? that I can support you and help you be all that God has called you and purposed you to be. The second application is for our husbands this morning. Husbands, recognize your need for a helper and the wife that God has provided. I want you to know as a husband, God has given you your wife to be a blessing, not a burden. And as a blessing, you should treat her that, like that accordingly. I'm reminded of Proverbs 18.22 where it says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Husbands, I want you to consider in what ways your wife is a blessing to you. In what ways your wife is a great helper to you. But don't just think about it. Let her know. As you head home later today, as you have time to chat with her, let her know this is how you are a great blessing to me. When you pray for me, when you support me, when you do this or that, I want you to know that God has given 
you as a gift to me, and I am greatly blessed. I don't always act like it. I don't always communicate it, but I want you to know what a great blessing you are. Uh, When I think of ways that you can talk about that, how can you talk to, if you're married and you have children, you can talk to your, your wife about how she's a helper in raising your children, and the way that she comes alongside of you and, and, and cares for your children and puts in so much effort. That is a great blessing. How she is a partner in the ministry that God has called you. All of us are in ministry, whether you realize it or not. All of us have a calling. How is your wife coming alongside of you and how can you be that person who thanks her? You know, one of the ways that you can be thankful for the helper that God has given you is to when those moments, you know, where you say, ask her a question and you say, no, that, that's not very good advice. <laughs> to actually take time to consider what she has to say. If she's your helper, it's a good thing to listen to her. It's a good thing to make an informed decision in light of God's word. I'm thankful when there are times, you know, in, in marriages, sometimes you have a spender and you have a saver. I'm saying both of my wife and I, we're kind of on the same page as more on the side of spend, uh, savers, excuse me. But there... But there are times when I want to make a spontaneous financial decision and think to myself, I don't need to talk to her. This is a, a great decision for me. And then I come to myself and I say, well, maybe I should uh, chat with her real quick about it. And it's always a blessing that I did as I look back on it in the long run, you know. And so it's a reminder, see your wife as a helper. And then thirdly this morning, work together as a complementary partnership, which is the key to a fulfilled marriage. You are like two puzzle pieces that God has fit together. And as you are fit together, you fulfill his plan and purpose for your life, for your marriage, and for your family. The key to a fulfilled marriage is going back to God's original purpose and embracing it. Secondly, the key to a fulfilled and satisfied marriage is embracing God's definition for marriage. After we learn that Adam receives a companion, a a complementary partner, um, a helper who's comparable to him. It says in verse 24, the definition we are to embrace, it says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. It's just a great verse that reminds us of what marriage is. Marriage is a lifelong commitment between a man and woman that God has brought together. And so what we're reminded here is is how do we embrace God's definition for marriage? Well, the text gives us three things, by leaving, by cleaving, and by becoming one flesh. Let me say that again, leaving, cleaving, and becoming one flesh. First, the text to embrace God's definition for marriage tells us to leave. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother. When it says a, a, a man shall leave his father and mother, that word leave literally means to sever that relationship. Now that doesn't mean that you no longer have a relationship with your parents. Doesn't mean that you don't honor and respect your parents. But it does mean your top priority when it comes to your human relationships is no longer your relationship with your parents. It's now your relationship with your spouse. So when you get married, there is a new priority in your life. For a wife, it's her husband. For a husband, it's a wife. And what we were reminded here is that the bond 
between a husband and wife is designed to be stronger than the bond between a parent and a child. What God could have done when he noticed that Adam was in need of a companion who is comparable to him is God could have made a mother for him. And God could have said what Adam needs is a mom. And so that is the most important relationship that he has. No, he he made him a wife. God could have said, you know what? Adam's most important relationship that he needs is a child. And he would be more ecstatic than ever to have a, a baby girl or a baby boy that he could raise. But the most important relationship that Adam needed in order to do all that God had called him to do and fulfill the purpose God had on his life was in order to provide him a wife who is comparable to him, a helper who could help him do all that God had purposed him to do. And so the text tells us that the bond between a husband and wife is stronger than the bond of a parent and child. That means when you get married, your top priority as a husband or a wife should not be prioritizing your relationship with your mother or your father. And sometimes you see that tension. And when you have a desire to please your mother or father more than a desire to fulfill God's design in relationship to loving, cherishing, and honoring your spouse, that is a difficult place to be. Not only that, it's a difficult place to be when your home becomes a child-centered home. It's a difficult place to be at times, if I could give an example, when a mother puts such a priority on the children that the, her, that the relationship with her husband is no longer the top priority and the husband at times, what he'll end up doing is make a relationship with his work and his work is everything he does. When you step outside of God's design, what ends up happening is you move in the opposite direction. You don't move closer to God. You move further away from God and further away from one another. The bond between a husband and wife is stronger than the bond between a parent and child. And the greatest thing that you can do for your child is you raise them is by loving their parent, their, uh, your, your spouse well. Because when you love the mother or father of your children and prioritize that relationship, everything else ends up falling into place. And so first, to embrace God's definition for marriage is to leave. Leave your father and mother. Recognize your top priority is your spouse. And then secondly, cleave. When it says cleave, it says be joined to your wife. This is not just talking about the permanence of marriage, but the exclusivity of marriage. First, it's speaking of the permanence of marriage. Be joined to your wife. That Hebrew word there literally means to be stuck together like glue. You could just imagine if you took two photographs, maybe a picture of you, a picture of your spouse, and then you glued it together. And as you glue it together, after a while, you decide to pull it apart. What ends up happening? It gets pretty messy. And God designed marriage to be a permanent bond, a lifelong commitment between a husband and wife. Why? Because when you rip those two people apart, it gets pretty messy and it gets pretty ugly. The Bible says that God hates divorce, not because he hates divorced people, but because, what he, because he hates what it does to them what it does to the family. It literally rips them apart and leaves a huge mess along 
the way. And so we're reminded when you get married, it's a permanent relationship. You're saying in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad times, we are committed to one another. We're not just going to throw around the the S word, separation, or the D word, divorce. We are going to pursue everything we can to be one and pursue God's design for marriage and to experience the satisfaction and the fulfillment that comes with it. So not only does cleaving mean it's permanent, but also means that it's exclusive. It says, be joined to his wife. It doesn't say wives there. Make sure you circle that, all right? So when we're talking about marriage, it's between one man and one woman in a lifelong relationship. You know, I think of, I think it was Henry Ford who on his 50th uh, wedding anniversary uh, he, was, he was asked, what's the secret to marriage? And he said, well, the secret to marriage uh, is the same as manufacturing cars. He said, keep only one or pursue and prioritize just having one model, you know? Don't go out looking for others, you know? Pursue your wife and keep her your top priority. And so first, leave. Secondly, cleave. Thirdly, become one flesh. The text continues and said, And says in verse 24, be joined to your wife and they shall become one flesh. When we're talking about one flesh, we're talking about intimacy. We're talking about unity. We're talking about sexual intimacy, physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, and spiritual intimacy. We're talking about a husband and wife who are one, who are on the same page and are moving in the same direction. You know, the key to intimacy is honesty. And when you and your spouse can be fully transparent, you get to know her fully, and she gets to know you fully, that is how God designed marriage to be, where you know each other fully, and even though you are imperfect, you love each other unconditionally. And so there shouldn't be anything that is hidden It's always a dangerous thing when you see one or the other spouse say, hey, I don't want you looking at my phone. Why why is it such a problem that the other person can't look at your phone? It should be a, 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 a red flag if someone is saying, hey, don't look at this. I want my spouse knowing everything. I want to be transparent with her. I want to be fully open about my weaknesses and my strengths because she is one with me. And that's what it really means to be one flesh. It means to be intimate with one another as we get to know each other, growing in that intimacy emotionally and spiritually, physically and sexually. It's all of the above. And so it's about embracing God's design for marriage by leaving by cleaving and becoming one flesh. And you get to see the result in verse 25. There is no sin in this relationship. It says in verse 25, and they were both naked, the man and the woman, or the man and the wife, and were not ashamed. They are fully exposed, but they have no fear of the other taking advantage of them. They have no fear because there is no sin and there is no capacity for them to be taken advantage of. And so they are naked and they are unashamed. They are on one page. They have left, they have cleaved to one another, and they are one flesh. What's the key to a satisfied and a fulfilled marriage? It's embracing God's definition for our marriages. If I could just give three practical takeaways. The first is this. Make your relationship with your spouse your top priority. 
You know, one of the things I encourage folks to do is list your priorities. And for most of us, if you're a Christian, you know what those priorities should be. God is my number one priority. He should be. And so if you were to write it down on a paper, list at the top, God, he's number one. No one and nothing should come before God, not even my spouse, because then they can become an idol in my life. Nothing should get in my way with my relationship with God. Secondly, your most important human relationship should be your spouse, your husband or your wife. And so you should write that on your list. The next person on your priority list could possibly be your children if you have them. After your children, it might be your ministry in the church. After that, it might be your circle of influence. It might be your place of employment. But what I want to encourage you to do is actually write down your list. But after you've written down your list, prove it. If your wife is the most important relationship to you, prove it. If your husband is the most important human relationship to you, then prove it. One of the ways that you can do that is ask your spouse, do you feel like I am making you a top priority in my life? Is there ways that I can prove that and to show you that you are the most important human relationship in my life? And so just want to encourage us to to make your spouse your top priority as you spend time with each other, as you pray together, as you go on dates together. You know, I was just throwing out the idea. I don't know if it's possible, but talking to my wife this past week, have you ever want, you want to do the 52-week challenge where you do a date a week and you make it a priority to do a date? That might be tough, but what a wonderful thing to pursue with your spouse to say, hey, we're going to make our relationship such a priority. We don't have to go out. It might be a date that is around the house, you know, where we have a dinner together or the kids are in a different room, but you're going to make it happen and make that a priority. So make your relationship with your spouse a top priority. Secondly, honor your vows with your spouse by honoring the permanence of marriage. Honor the permanence of marriage. You don't need to be throwing around terms of separation and divorce. You don't need to throw those terms around in the heat of the moment, but commit yourself to say, I'm going to honor my vows till death do us part. We know that marriage isn't always easy. It's difficult. When you have two people coming together, even as Christians, we're both two imperfect people. There are going to be struggles. There are going to be differences. There are going to be challenges, but we are to honor that permanence. You know, it always makes me think of a husband and wife who are celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary. And the husband, who was a little bit further away from his wife, said, Honey, in the past 60 years, I've found you to be tried and true. His wife said, What'd you say? And he said, Honey, in the past 60 years, I've found you to be tried and true. His wife said, Honey, I'm tired of you too, you know? (laughs) Marriage isn't always easy. Marriage can be difficult, but we honor the permanence of marriage and pursue our spouse in good times and in bad times. And then lastly, become one flesh. Continually pursue that. Be united as you get to know each other in all areas of your relation, emotionally and spiritually, physically and sexually, all those ways. And so embrace, well, the key to fulfilling a satisfying marriage is embracing God's purpose, embracing God's definition. Thirdly, embracing God's Holy Spirit that he's provided you. I want you to jump over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter five, verse 22. 
But before we move into the roles and responsibilities of the husband and wife, I want to remind you of the context from which that comes out of. We could easily this morning go into the commands given to the wives to submit to their husbands and the husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, but you cannot do what God commands you to do if you don't see it in the context of chapter 5, verse 18 that precedes it. And what we're told in chapter 5, verse 18 is do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. What we are invited to embrace as husbands and wives is the kind of marriage that is under the control of the Holy Spirit because individually as husbands and wives, we are under the control of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians is a neat book. You can split it up pretty easily. First three chapters have to do with doctrine as Paul reminds the church at Ephesus who they are concerning their identity. Chapters four to six have to do with duty. In light of who you are in Christ, how then shall you live? And beginning in chapter 4, what Paul tells these believers is walk worthy of the calling by which you've been called. If you are identified with Christ and you are a new creation in him and you are part of the church, the body of Christ, then you are to live that out accordingly. But how do you do that? Let me go back to Ephesians 5 verse 18 and says, do not be drunk with wine. Don't be under the control or under the influence of alcohol, but the text says, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with wrath, that means you're under the control of your temper. You follow your instincts rather than coming under the self-control of the Holy Spirit who is provided to you. Before we can talk about roles and responsibilities, you have to know your inability to serve God and honor God without the Holy Spirit. Spirit, and we need the Holy Spirit. What does it look like to have the Holy Spirit controlling your life as a husband or as a wife? Well, Galatians 5, 22 verses, Galatians 5 verses 22 to 23 give us a good picture of that. What is the fruit of the Spirit? What will you see in your husband or your wife when you are being filled with the Spirit? It means that there's going to be love, joy, and peace. There's going to be patience, kindness, and goodness. There's going to be faithfulness, gentleness, and there's going to be self-control. When you come under the power of the Holy Spirit, what a wonderful thing to be married to someone who is bearing much fruit. When you're around a spouse who is bearing fruit, man, isn't that attractive? You can... Smell the aroma of the fruit that is coming forth, the love that they show, the joy that is stamping their life, even in the midst of hardships and difficulties, the joy of the Lord as they walk in the room is a great blessing. And when you've had a hard day or a difficult day, your spouse is there exuding the fruit of the Spirit, and it's a great blessing to you indeed. And if you will come under the power of the Holy Spirit, you can bear much fruit. So what does that look like if you're going to embrace a spirit-filled marriage? The first thing you need to do is to accept Christ as your Savior and Lord of your life. If you're here today and you're married or unmarried, if you haven't trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you can't expect to do all that God has called you to do in his word and be obedient to it in your own power. I'm reminded in Scripture that God will never expect out of you what he's not willing to provide for you. And he provides his spirit that you are to rely on that will give you as a wife the ability to love your husband, to honor and respect him, and to submit to him when he doesn't even deserve it. 
If you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, having trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord, as a husband, you can love your wife as Christ loved the church when you find her difficult to love. Why? Because you're not relying on your strength. You're relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, Ephesians 5, to 33 reminds us that the marriage relationship is an illustration of the relationship between Christ and his church. And the good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus, Jesus so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. The truth is we are born with a sin nature. And that sin nature expresses itself in all kinds of ugly ways and it affects our relationships in regards to our attitudes, our actions, and affections. But thanks be to God that the only solution that we've been given is in the person and work of Jesus Christ who came from heaven to earth and died on a cross to take our place and to pay our punishment. Three days later, after, after dying and being in the grave, rose again in newness of life, offering salvation and forgiveness of sins to anyone who will receive it. But not only does he provide you eternal life, he provides you a helper. And you know who that helper is. It's the Holy Spirit who indwells you. So this morning, if you are married or unmarried, the first step is trusting in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Get right with God. Admit your need for Christ because you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the one who came from heaven to earth to die and rose again in newness of life and confess Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. Secondly, this morning, make the spiritual disciplines a priority. Continue as a husband or a wife to pray daily, to spend time in the word daily, to prioritize what you need to daily. And then lastly, rely, of course, on the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, when my wife and I were married, maybe for a few years, uh, we had our daughter, our oldest daughter at the time, we only had one, and she was about one years old, and my wife and I decided to go to a marriage conference for the first time. And at our church, it was a smaller church, so we never had a nursery, you know, to put our children in. So this was the first time. Went to a big church, and they had this marriage conference, and I remember this because... We got a little bit emotional as we were dropping off this one-year-old and leaving her to be taken care of by a very competent staff at this church. And I remember it was, it was kind of difficult. Now we've got our third child. We're like, you'll be all right, buddy. You go in. You'll be all right. But back then, you have your first kid, and you're dropping them off. And, you know, we're investing in our marriage. And I still remember, you know, some, some, some messages you don't always remember. But there was one message in particular that I remember um, well, it was a, a guy by the name of Dan Leanne who was sharing about his parents. He had shared during that conference, this was years back, he said eight years prior, put up a picture of his parents and he said, my parents got divorced about eight years ago. After 30 years, they decided to find happiness somewhere else. And he said in the time that they had left, they decided to pursue other relationships. He said it was just kind of awkward at times. You know, you go to some family meals and they've got a new, new person, a significant other that they're dating. He said about three years later, as God began to work on their hearts individually through the power of the Holy Spirit and different circumstances caused them to go back to the Lord. 
and rely back on the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the same power that spoke nothing, everything into existence out of nothing. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. He said three years after they got a divorce, he said, they stood in my house where I got to lead them in a ceremony and pronounce them once again husband and wife. And as he shared that testimony, he said, it's never too late. It's never too late to begin to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to work in your heart individually and to work in your marriage as a couple. It's never too late to start fighting for your marriage. It's never too late to start communicating. It's never too late to pursue what God has called you to pursue. And then as you go back to his definition, as you go back to his design, as you go back to your reliance on the Holy Spirit, you've got the best marriage counselor you could ever imagine in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that can raise a dead marriage to life again and that's the hope that we have we're reminded it's not too late if you want a fulfilling and satisfied marriage rely on the power of the holy spirit and lastly this morning if you want a fulfilling and satisfying marriage honor god's divinely designed roles and responsibilities as i said earlier if you're not filled with the holy spirit and you are not walking in the power of the holy spirit there's no point in even moving forward at this point if you are going to enter into the next part of the text with a hardened heart the first step that you need to submit to is the work of the holy spirit in your life And then after that, let's go ahead and move forward and talk about what those roles and responsibilities are. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 22, how do you walk worthy of your calling as those who have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? Verse 22 said, wives, submit to your own husbands. The word submission is a military term. It speaks of placing yourself under the rank of another And submission simply means to, in your love and respect of your husband as you honor him, to follow him as the leader of the home. As your husband is the spiritual leader of the home and the one who who leads you in your marriage and your family, you are to submit to him. Now, what we're reminded here when we talk about submission, this is a voluntary submission doesn't say that the husband is to force his wife to submit that doesn't say that a wife is to focus on her role and responsibility a husband is to focus on his role and responsibility and we're also told in first peter chapter three that regardless of whether your husband perhaps if you came to faith and find find out that he's not a believer you're still to treat him with that love and respect of submitting to him let me read to you first peter three it says wives likewise Be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their their wives. And so as you honor him, as you respect him, even as an unbeliever, if you come to faith and he's not a believer, as as you are married and and you continue to love him and respect him, perhaps you might win him to Christ. Verse 2, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Wives, if you want a 
satisfied and fulfilling marriage as you submit to the Holy Spirit's work in your life, as the Holy Spirit empowers you to live out the Christian life. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Don't submit to all men. It says, submit to your own husbands. How? First, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. We're reminded, is your number one authority in your life is the Lord Jesus Christ. He sits on the throne of your life and he leads and guides your life. Um, That means when we're talking about aligning yourself under the authority of your husband, if ever your husband steps outside of the authority of God, you are not to align yourself under your husband, you are to align yourself still under God. God is your final authority. You are to submit to your husband in as far as he is aligned under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. If your husband should ask you to stop attending church or bringing your children to church, there are some things that you might need to discuss or you might need to say, hey, we just can't do that. I am accountable to the Lord. We must obey God and not man. And so we're not talking about obedience to your husband in all situations. And so um, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. God is your top authority. And the, re- the manner in which you submit is, is not in, it, the manner in which you submit is not by staying, keeping your gaze on your husband, it's keeping your gaze on the Lord. When you're keeping your gaze on your husband, you might say, hey, I'm not submitting to him until he looks a little bit more like Jesus, and right now he's looking a little bit more like the devil. When it says to submit, it says to do it as unto the Lord, and so your eyes are fixed on Christ, and then it gives you the ability to submit. But it also says, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Reminded here is that marriage is, is... is a picture, an illustration of the relationship between Christ and his church. And when you as a wife submit to your husband, you are reflecting the church's submission to Christ, which adds to the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ of who God is. What is this telling us? Well, your marriage can either reflect positively or negatively on the reputation of Christ and the reputation of the gospel. Our number one desire and priority in life is to bring honor and glory to God even when it's hard and even when it's difficult. Verse 24, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. So how are wives to submit as to the Lord? Reflecting the relationship between Christ and his church. And thirdly, in Everything. When it says in everything, as we said, if your husband leads you in a way that is outside of the will of God or the word of God, you always obey God and not man. And so as a wife submits to her husband, she honors him, she loves him. It's about order and it's about honor. And it's honoring God's design and that he has set forth. And then it goes into husbands in verse 25. And it says, husbands, love your wives. Now, a wife may say, why do they got to tell me to submit and then tell him to love me? That sounds easier than what I've got to do, not necessarily as you continue to read. It says, love, uh, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. 
The kind of love husbands are to show their wife is a sacrificial love, one in which he's willing to lay his life down for her. It's a selfless love. It's a sacrificial love that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Why did Christ come and die for the sins of humanity in order that he might in order that he might be consummated with his bride as the bridegroom and the church in order to wash her and cleanse her so that when she's presented to him she will be without spot or blemish without spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish we are to love our wives unconditionally sacrificially and selflessly Verse 28, so husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Not only are we to love our wives as Christ loved the church, but as our own bodies. How do you treat your body? You take care of it. You cherish it, or at least most people do. You take care of your body. You nourish it. If you're hungry, you go eat. If you need some clothes, you put them on. If you need some rest, you get some rest. And the way that you treat your body, or it's expected that you treat your body, the way you should treat your wife is you should love her. You should cherish her. You should consider her a gift from God. He who has found a wife has found a good thing. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh and bones. Verse 31 goes back to Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Then he says in verse 32, this is a great mystery. What is a mystery? A mystery is that which was previously hidden but has now been revealed. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Why does God care so much about marriage? Because it reflects his relation, Christ's relationship with the church. Verse 33, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, we could go into a lot of details about practical ways husbands and wives can honor their roles, honor their husbands and cherish them. How husbands should honor and cherish their wives and love them sacrificially, selflessly. But this morning, I just want to give you some very practical help. And the first one is this, ask God for help. Ask God for help every morning you wake up. Ask God for help at lunchtime. Ask God for help as you're having conversations throughout the day. Depend on the Holy Spirit to provide what you need to love your wife and to cherish her and to care for her, to to honor your husband, to love him and to submit to him even when it's not easy. Secondly, consider, consider reaching out to fellow believers for help. Consider reaching out to the church for help. You know, we're reminded that the church is, 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 is a hospital before it's a museum of the righteous. And so when you come to this place, we're, we're all on a journey, moment by moment, being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And so if you need help, that's what our church is available for. We have pastors and we have ministries that can help you along your journey. Just this past weekend, we did a marriage mentor training 
uh, as we have been preparing to launch a ministry to invest in the marriages of our church. Next month on October 12th, we're going to have a date night. And the reason we have that date night is because we care about the marriages of the church and how they reflect the reputation of Christ and the gospel of Jesus. And so if you are struggling in your marriage, we have various resources that we want to make available to you. You can come talk to a pastor. We can connect you with a marriage mentor. And we, can, we have various ministries like date night. And if you don't have people in your life that you know that you can turn to, we want you to know that's what the church is here for. We're here to pray for you, we're here to walk alongside of you, and we're here to celebrate what God is going to do in your marriage and give the disappointments and the victories to the Lord, knowing that he is the one who is sovereign over our church, our marriages, and over all things. And then lastly this morning, if I could leave you with this, honor God's design. Husband, love your wives by listening Cherishing and honor your wife, wife, wives, submit to your husbands by honoring, respecting, and supporting him. Close with this. A little boy sat through a Sunday school class and learned about the time Jesus went to a wedding and turned water into wine. What did you learn from the story, asked his father. The boy thought for a moment and answered, if you're having a wedding, make sure Jesus is there. This morning, if you're having a wedding, if you are married, make sure God is right at the center. Can we pray? Father, we're grateful to be able to talk about what your word has to say about marriage. We know that it's created by you and designed by you. And our desire this morning is by our reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit who resides in us as believers, we would be the husband you've called us to be the wife that you've called us to be. Father, we pray, Lord, for all of the marriages that make up our church. Some marriages are thriving this morning, and you know those marriages. Other marriages are barely surviving. Father, and there are other marriages just in between, but we know, Lord, that you know what our needs are, and we look to you in this moment. We pray that you would provide us the ability to go back to your original design and embrace your definition and embrace our God-given roles and responsibilities in our reliance on you and the power of your Holy Spirit in all things. Father, I pray for the marriage that feels as if they're not going to make it. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them hope, that you would provide them resources, that they would get connected with our church and that we would help along the way. Father, if there's someone here this morning who knows that their first step is uh, not to walk in obedience to these commands or make a list of these commands, but their first step before that is to trust in Jesus as their Savior and Lord, I pray that they in this moment can say this prayer. Father, I want to admit this morning I need you. I know what separates me from you is my sin. But I also know and believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. The one who came from heaven to earth, died on a cross. After being in the grave three days, rose in newness of life and offers me the forgiveness of sins and the gift of everlasting life. And so today, I confess Jesus as my Savior, the one who has forgiven my sins. 
I confess him as my Lord, the one I'm going to follow all the days of my life, and I invite his reign and rule over my heart, my mind, my decisions, and over all my relationships, even my marriage. Father, we're grateful for our time together, and we give you thanks for it. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.